The scripture reading for tonight is Matthew chapter 5 and verse 9. The Lord is teaching his disciples and says to them, After this manner, therefore, pray ye, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. I appreciate Waylon leading the songs that he did, not just for the lesson, but for the Lord's Supper as well, for Brother Darrell and his thoughts. I have been continually amazed that for almost two years now, we've had these Lord's Supper devotionals, and rarely has there been any overlap. And uh, each brother brings out something that's unique uh, to partaking of the Lord's Supper. Uh, answered prayer is, is among us tonight. Uh, it's good to see our sister Mindy Smith with us, having survived, uh, having waited a long time and survived her uh, knee surgery. And uh, she tells us now that the uh, rehab is worse than the pain she had before, but it's going to get better. I hope you'll have your, your copy of God's Word ready tonight as we uh, as we study. From his word. With the rampant corruption and evil going on in our world today, in our nation, what is your greatest concern? We might have concern over the sovereignty of our nation, or we might have concern for our physical safety as violence seems to increase, or maybe for our financial security. We might have concern for the constant attacks upon our children, constant temptations from the devil. Maybe we're we're concerned about the murderous acts of abortion that continue in this country. All of those are valid, and there are many other valid concerns as well. But what should our greatest concern be? I humbly propose to you that our greatest concern should be simply that his great name be hallowed. Held in the highest regard, sanctified and never profaned, that should be our greatest concern. Tonight we're going to look, Lord willing, at three different Old Testament passages that speak to the reverence of his great name and how we can go about honoring his name and what God will do to make sure that his name is honored. Before we get started... If if we look at Malachi chapter 2, about the first half of that chapter, there is an underlying principle that basically says, high thoughts of God by leadership lead to high thoughts of God from his people. Let's think about that again. High thoughts of God by leadership lead to high thoughts of God from his people. That is one of our purposes tonight in this lesson. As a leader of God's people here, one of the leaders, I want to humbly present a lesson that I hope will lead us to having higher thoughts of God as the Almighty. It is one of my responsibilities. The Old Testament, we know, is not for our law, but for our learning. Paul, talking to Timothy, said in 2 Timothy 3 and verse 15, That from childhood you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation 
through faith which is in Christ Jesus. If I'm going to have high thoughts of God, or when I have high thoughts of God, those will make me wise unto salvation. Romans chapter 15 and verse 4 says, For whatever things that were written before time were written for our learning, that through patience and comfort of the scriptures we might have hope. High thoughts of God are going to give me hope. So let's look at our first passage together, the book of Joshua, Joshua chapter 7, and we'll look at verses 8 and 9. Joshua chapter 7, verses 8 and 9. O Lord, what shall I say when Israel turns its back before its enemies? For the Canaanites and all the inhabitants of the land will hear it and surround us and cut off your name from the earth. Then what will you do for your great name? A little background for that text. Israel is starting to conquer the promised land under Joshua's leadership. They have just taken Jericho after the Lord caused the walls to come tumbling down. Kids, y'all remember that. However, having not consulted with the Lord... They were initially defeated in their attempted conquest of Ai. They had turned their backs and ran from their enemy. It is in this context that Joshua prays in 7 verse 9. And he asked the Lord, what will you do for your great name? Though it was Joshua's fault for not leading his people, not being there among them in the battle, and most importantly, not seeking the Lord's favor and direction before starting the battle, Joshua does have it right later on, after, after the battle. His concern is that the Lord's name will be cut off from the earth. Then he asked the Lord, what will you do for your great name? The answer to that question lies in the following verses. <clears throat> We'll be looking at, at several of them between uh, Joshua chapter 10, uh, Joshua chapter 7, verses 10 through 26. Joshua was praying in a humble manner. In verse 9, the answer, what will he do for his great name, is that sin must be purged from the camp. There must be sanctification and removal of the accursed thing from among you. What, he is, what is he going to do for his great name? He's going to sanctify his people, that then they will be able to stand before their enemies. Joshua 7 and verse 13, get up, sanctify the people, and say, sanctify yourselves for tomorrow, because thus says the Lord God of Israel, there is an accursed thing in your midst, O Israel. You cannot stand before your enemies until you have taken away the accursed thing from among you. This is the result of Achan having chosen to disobey the instruction of the Lord in chapter 6 and verse 18. With the Lord's help, the accursed thing is found in the possession of Achan from the tribe of Judah. Achan confessed the incursed things were recovered, and we have Joshua 7, verse 24 and 25. Then Joshua and all Israel with him took Achan, the son of Zerah, 
the silver, the garment, the wedge of gold, his sons, his daughters, his oxen, his donkeys, his sheep, his tent, and all that he had, and they brought them to the valley of Achor. And Joshua said, Why have you troubled us? The Lord will trouble you this day. So all Israel stoned him with stones, and they burned him with fire after they had stoned him with stones. We'll see later on in chapter 8 that Israel, with very specific instructions this time from the Lord, is able to capture Ai and were able to stand before those who had once thought to remove his holy name from the face of the earth. What's our application today? First, listen to his instructions. Second, be concerned for his great name and ask him what will he do for his great name. Another consideration, another lesson that we can learn is don't partake of the accursed things. If God has said not to do something, don't do it. Third, don't be concerned about what's in it for us. Fourth, pray and be willing to listen and respond to his answer. And finally, be willing to sanctify ourselves for his purpose. So let's ask ourselves a few questions. How well do we listen to his instructions? How well do we stand before the Lord's enemies? Are our enemies the Lord's enemies? Have we sought the Lord's help in sanctifying our lives and identifying the sin in our lives that is keeping us from standing before our enemies? Do we seek the Lord's counsel when engaging our enemies? For all around us today, we have an enemy who is seeking to remove the name of our Lord from this world. So think about those things and what will the Lord do for his great name? Our second, our second uh, passage is uh, the big part of Ezekiel chapter 36. Ezekiel chapter 36, I hope, hope you'll, you will turn there and we'll spend some time here. Ezekiel chapter 36, a little bit of background. If you don't know much about the book of Ezekiel, about the first 24 or 25 chapters, there's one basic message. 586 is coming, 586 BC is coming. That means the destruction of Jerusalem by the Babylonian Empire. It had already started, but it's going to be complete by then. Judgment was coming because of Israel's rebellion against God. We see that in Ezekiel chapter 2 and verse 3. After its discussion, we come to chapter, excuse me, after its destruction of Jerusalem, we come to chapter 36, which discusses the restoration of the Lord's people. A common phrase, if you're familiar with the book of Ezekiel, a common phrase throughout the book is, and then they will know that I am the Lord. Fifty-five times in 39 chapters. It's pretty good for a kid from Zephyr to count the 55, but you hadn't got to the big one yet. But obviously, that is something that was important to the writer of Ezekiel. What? Then that they will know that I am the Lord. The certainty of what the Lord was going to do was clear. This is an even bigger number, Philip. 375 times 
in the book, we find the phrase from the Lord, I will. I will. So, so combine that with the other phrase, then they will know that I am the Lord, and you get the idea of the whole book. The Lord's going to make sure that people know that he's the Lord. Reminds me of, of Job chapter 42 and verse 2. I know that you can do everything and that no purpose of yours can be withheld from you. In, ch- in chapter 36, the primary way in which judgment and restoration are underscored is by emphasizing the sovereignty of God. Let's read the text. We'll start in verse 16 of, of chapter 36 and we'll make a few comments as we go. chapter 36 verse 16 moreover the word of the Lord came to me saying son of man when the house of Israel dwelt in their own land they defiled it by their own ways and deeds to me their way was like the uncleanness of a woman in her customary impurity therefore I poured out my fury on them for the blood they had shed on the land and for their idols with which they had defiled it So I scattered them among the nations, and they were dispersed among the countries, throughout the countries. I judged them according to their ways and their deeds. When they came to the nations, wherever they went, they profaned my holy name. When they said of them, the enemy said of them, these are the people of the Lord, and yet they have gone out of his land. But I had concern for my holy name which the house of Israel had profaned among the nations wherever they went. Verse 15, we didn't read it, but verse 15 before this ends with a note that that reproach that the Lord had brought upon his people was going to be lifted and he was going to have restoration. However, the Lord, starting in these verses, scrutinizes Israel's past and establishes the basis upon which his current individual intervention on behalf of his people must be understood. It was a matter of impurity and defiling that which was sacred. The metaphor of customary impurity shows that their actions were a willful disregard for the holiness of God. Even in their punishment, the scattering of them among the nations, they further profaned God's holiness. Their punishment, in other words, didn't change their attitude. Note the phrases, wherever they went, they profaned my holy name. And I, God, had concern for my holy name, which the house of Israel had profaned among the nations. Continuing with verse 22, therefore say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord God, I do not do this for your sake. What's he doing? He's trying to restore them. I don't do this for your sake. O house of Israel, but for my holy name's sake, which you have profaned among the nations wherever you went. And I will sanctify my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, which you have profaned in their midst. And the nations shall know that I am the Lord, says the Lord God. When I am hallowed in you before their eyes. I do not do this for your sake. The fundamental reason 
given for God's acting on behalf of Israel is not to extend grace and mercy to them, although what he extends to them is gracious and merciful. The fundamental reason is to uphold the sanctity and greatness of God's reputation. Although the common phrase of then they will know that I am the Lord is used repeatedly throughout the book, it's here that its significance is made very clear. It is not just that Israel's God is great and holy. It's imperative that the, that the nations give God recognition, respect, and honor that he deserves. Treating his name as hallowed. Back to the question in Joshua 7 and verse 9. What will the Lord do for his great name? The answer is in verse 23. He will sanctify it when I am hallowed in, your, in you before their eyes. In other words, our enemies look at us, Thomas, and they say, that man hallows the name of the Lord. Thus for the nations to know that he is the Lord, the nations must first see his name is hallowed by his people. Let's say that again. Thus for the nations to know that he is the Lord, the nations must first see that his name is hallowed by his people. Brethren, We have an awesome responsibility. All around us we see his name, hear his name profaned. Does the world see within us, both individually and collectively, that we hallow his name? Continuing with verse 24. For I will take you from among the nations, gather you out of all countries, and bring you into your own land. Then I will sprinkle you clean with water, I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols. From verse, 20, from verse 24, how will he sanctify his great name? Note the sequence. He will first gather us from among the nations. Then he will sprinkle them with clean water. This will take the Israelite back to the time when God cleansed his people figuratively. Uh, Ezekiel 16 and verse 9, although they went on later in that same chapter to, they went right back to idolatry. This sprinkling of water could also remind them of when they had touched an unclean animal. They were to be sprinkled with water in Leviticus chapter 17 because they had touched a dead animal. This would, this would go well with the, the reference to idolatry because all idols are dead anyway. Gathering his people from among the nations, sanctifying them and washing them with water, certainly had application in that day. They needed to be sanctified. They needed to be clean. But it's also prophetic of the church. The called out of God, having been washed uh, uh, in the waters of regeneration, Titus 3 and verse 5. In either case, to sanctify his great name. He will first sanctify his people. Do we seek to live a sanctified life before him? Verse 26. We're not going to go through this detail of the rest of the chapter, Brother Mark. Unless uh, uh, y'all have some coffee and want to wait for a while. I'm just kidding. A lot here to go through. Verse 26. I will give you a new heart. And put a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will 
put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you will keep my judgments and do them. God moves from an outward expression of cleansing to that of the inner man. I will give you a new heart, literally a renewed or repaired heart and a renewed spirit. The new heart replaces the heart that was built of stone. Their spirit replaced with his spirit. To sanctify his name, he wants his people to be clean inside and out with a heart, new heart and new spirit. He wants them to obey his word. Though all of this is, is in reference to him sanctifying them for his great name, it is also prophetic of our baptism under the new covenant. We won't read the rest of the chapter, 28 through 38, but we'll make a few comments. From verse 28 to the end of the chapter, let's look at what the Lord will do for his great name. You shall, you shall dwell in the land, and I will be your God. Verse 28. I will deliver you from all uncleanness, and I will call for and multiply the grain. I will multiply the fruit of your trees, that they might not bear, that my people might not bear the reproach of famine among the nations and loathe themselves in your sight, that you might be ashamed and confounded of your ways. I will also enable you to dwell in the cities, that the nations around you may know that it was the Lord who rebuilt the ruined places. Then I will also let the house of Israel inquire of me to do this for them. I will increase their men like a flock. Ezekiel, this section ends with Ezekiel 38, 36 verse 38. Like a flock offered as holy sacrifices, like the flock at Jerusalem on its feast days, so shall the ruined cities be filled with flocks of men. And then there's the phrase. Then they will know that I am the Lord. The Lord will let his people pray for increase, for spiritual abundance and holy sacrifices. This comes only after their sanctification and renewal of their hearts. And then they will be able to return to that which was once desolate. What's the bottom line today? Only as the Lord sees the church flourishing spiritually will they know that he is the Lord. Only as the world sees the church flourishing spiritually will they know that he is the Lord. All that we do should be for the purpose that people around us should know that I am the Lord. Our final Old Testament passage to consider on this topic of his great name being honored among the nations is Malachi chapter 1. Malachi chapter 1 and verse 11. For from the rising of the sun, even to its going down, my name shall be great among the Gentiles. In every place, incense shall be offered to my name and for a pure offering. For my name shall be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. In the days of Malachi, the people had reached a point, the Israelites had reached a point where they had become very neglectful in their spiritual duties, especially in their worship. They didn't have the right form in worship and certainly lacked having any feeling toward their worship. Malachi calls upon the people to repent in order to receive his blessings. Let's look at two phrases in this verse I think are significant and help us to understand it a little better. The first is the phrase, from the rising of the sun, 
even to its going down. That phrase is also found in, in Psalm chapter 50, verse 1, Psalm chapter 113 and verse 3, and Isaiah 45 and verse 6. The significance of that phrase in the other verses helps us to understand the significance of it in, in, in Malachi. In Psalm chapter 51, it is used in reference to universal judgment. In Psalm 113, it is used in reference to universal praise. And then finally, in Isaiah 45 and verse 6, it is used in universal recognition of the sovereignty of God. And there's our lesson. That is how it is used here in Malachi, that his, great, that his name be great among all nations. Note within the four chapters, I thought this was interesting in my study. I'd, I'd never come across this before. Note within the four chapters of Malachi, the frequency of the phrase, says the Lord of hosts. Over 40% of the verses in the book of Malachi contain that phrase. It is the, most, it is the highest concentration of that phrase in all of the, all the Old Testament, probably in the New as well. Over 40% of the verses contain that phrase. What's its significance? We, we look also that it, it has, besides Malachi, it has a high frequency, a high concentration in the book of Zechariah and in Haggai. Why would that be? And what does it mean, Philip? What does the host mean? He's the Lord of hosts. Host means, reading from the Strong's Concordance, is a mass of people regularly organized for war implying that there's a campaign. Judah and Israel's armies had been wiped out by foreign invaders and by being carried away into captivity. Thus, its frequent use in this book and in Zechariah and Haggai should be a reminder to us that our campaign is to see that his great name is exalted among the nations, but the battle is his. Because they had all been wiped out there that the battle is his, for we lack the resources to fight such battles alone. He is the Lord of hosts. He is the Lord of his army. In our day, when his great name is profaned on all sides, may we pray, like Elisha prayed in Second Kings chapter 6, that our eyes may be opened to see this is amazing to me, that our eyes may be open to see that we are surrounded by the host of the Lord. Then we can say, as, as Elisha said in that context in 2 Kings 6 and verse 16, So he answered, Do not fear, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. That, to me, is the meaning of the Lord of hosts. And though it had direct application in that day, in Malachi chapter 1 and 11, it is certainly prophetic of the church. For no longer will it just be the Israelites who can offer acceptable worship, but the Gentiles as well. We can see that also in, in many places in the book of Isaiah and other prophets, especially Isaiah 62 and verse 1 and 2. Our application today, brethren, is clear. For his great name to be honored among the nations, we must, from, from the book of Malachi, we must first offer worship 
that is true to him in both how we do it and our feelings toward it, both in spirit and truth. We must rely on the armies of the living God and not on ourselves. We must pray that we come to appreciate the presence of the host of heaven and that they are there to fight the battles of the Lord. Just as in Ezekiel 36, once we have done our part, sought to do our part, then there will be increase from the Lord. Then the name of the Lord will be great among the nations. So a quick summary. What have we learned to make his great name to be held in the highest regard? From Joshua, as we have, as we have concern for his name, we will first purge sin from the, from the camp, as in Joshua 7. Then we can stand before the enemies of God, and his great name will not be cut off from the earth. Second, what we saw in, in Ezekiel, and we saw a lot there, but just a, maybe a short summary. As we have concern that his great name has been profaned, we will seek sanctification from God, that his name is hallowed in us, for the world to see. And then finally in the book of Malachi, as we seek to make his great name known among the nations, we must first offer acceptable worship and then pray for our eyes to be open to see the host of the Lord which surrounds us. Back to where we started. Joshua asked the Lord in prayer, what will you do for your great name? So as we offer the invitation in a few moments, let us ask ourselves that question. What will you do? What will I do for his great name? Let's have a prayer, and then we'll stand and sing. Our Heavenly Father, hallowed be your name. As we have learned tonight, we pray that you will help us to identify and purge the sin from our midst, that we might stand against your enemies resulting in that your name not be cut off from the earth. Father, we know from certainty from the book of Ezekiel that you will make sure that your name is sanctified among the nations. Certainly today we are surrounded by those that seek to remove any reference to you in our society. May we live our lives in such a way that that will not happen. Holy Father, Sanctify your name in the church and then in this country. May we never be guilty of allowing your great name to be profaned in our presence, that your great name may be hallowed in us for the world to see. May the desolate places be re-inhabited, and in those places that were once desolate, may there be increase like the flocks of old. May it be evident that you have caused the rebuilding that the world may know that you are the Lord. From the rising of the sun, even to its going down, may your name be great among the nations, that in every place true worship and sacrifice may be offered in your name. May we ever be aware that you are the Lord of hosts. We seek to honor your great name this day. In the name of your Son and our Savior, I pray. Amen. Let's stand and sing.